Hey there, everyone. It's Tony Shea, the host and creator of Two Speak Geek. And I want to take a moment here to tell you guys about Anchor.fm, which is the easiest way to record a podcast or host a podcast for that matter. Uh, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast like I just said. Let me explain. First and foremost, it is free. doesn't cost a penny to get started. You just you know sign up for an account, do your thing, record it, and it's hosted for you. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're out and about, just do it on your iPad, your tablet, your phone, whatever. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on you know popular sites such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and many, many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So that's kind of a big one. You don't need any minimum listenership to get started with some sponsorships. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place, one app. If that sounds interesting, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another episode of Geekdom with the Single Dad. I'm your host, Tony Shea, and I am coming to you somewhat later than I normally would this week. Uh, I normally, like I said in the first episode, want to do, I, I, I want to try to do at least two episodes a month, but uh, with E3 happening this week, I kind of wanted to wait a little bit before the, uh, or I wanted to wait a little bit for the event to end before I started talking about any news or anything. I mean... Don't you think it would be kind of silly to do an episode and then after the episode airs, E3 drops and all the big news in the video game industry is exploding everywhere and I'm nowhere to talk about it. So, I don't know. I thought I would wait. Plus, a lot of other things happen as well, uh, personally. A lot of fun things. So, might as well uh, give this to you guys a little bit late. Maybe for June we're only going to do one episode. Who knows? I guess we'll have to wait and see. So uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right into it. The first thing I want to talk about, and I was so excited to talk about this the day it happened, but uh, I had to wait until I was recording. So uh, now's my chance to talk about it. It's uh, AEW's inaugural pay-per-view event, Double or Nothing. Oh my giddy was that a great show or what? I hope some of you had the chance to watch it. I... I'll admit the product has gotten a little bit stale. It's uh, getting increasingly hard to watch WWE products. I'll watch it because there's not much more wrestling that I can watch uh, without, you know, I don't know, subscribing to New Japan World or something. But, um, yeah, I plopped down the money to order Double or Nothing, and I was so impressed, so blown away. If All In was any indication of what uh, the AEW would become, then, you know, I had nothing to worry about, because All In was a, was a fun show, and I really enjoyed it. But Double or Nothing, Holy Guacamole blew all that away. I'm not going to say it was the greatest wrestling pay-per-view I've ever seen, but 
in today's day and age with WWE ruling the wrestling world, basically. And yes, I know there's New Japan, there's Ring of Honor, there's a whole bunch of, you know, there's a whole bunch of other indie promotions that you can watch. But to the to the lay person, you say wrestling, and that's pretty much synonymous with WWE. And to see something like AEW put on a show the caliber of Double or Nothing was really exciting. There's going to be some spoilers coming up, so if you haven't already watched Double or Nothing, uh, go watch it. Pause this right now and go watch it. it. It's worth your time. If you're any sort of wrestling fan at all, AEW's Double or Nothing is worth your time. I bought it on Fight TV. Or Fight TV? The Fight app? F-I-T-E? I don't know if it's called Fight TV or not. But anyways, I got it on that app. Before I realized that there's apparently a time limit for how long you get to keep it. I think it's only going to be available for like, I don't know, like 30 days or something. So that was kind of a bummer. Um, I really should have read up on that before dropping such a big wad of cash. But whatever. What's done is done. And uh, yeah, what a show. Um. Everybody's talking about it already. Um, people are freaking out over how good it is. Um, especially my favorite match of the night, as I suspect this is the, a lot of people's favorite match of the night, was uh, Cody versus Dustin, brother versus brother. Ah, uh, my God. I, big props to Dustin Rhodes, formerly known as Gold Dust, for those of you who don't know. But big props to Dustin Rhodes. That guy can still do it in the ring. He can still put on a performance that, quite honestly, I wasn't expecting. I mean, I didn't really know him prior to the Gold Dust character. So all I really know of Dustin Rhodes is Gold Dust. And Gold Dust has fun matches, you know, especially early on when he first debuted during the Attitude Era. But, you know, lately. And this is the case with a lot of wrestlers in WWE that just haven't been given much to do. And, you know, other than a nostalgia act and a comedy act, there was not much to Goldust that I really looked forward to. So consider me really surprised when Dustin put on the performance that he put on. And my God, that was a manly blade job. The amount of blood. I haven't seen that much blood since. Oh, God. I can't even remember the last time I saw that much blood. I just, you know, it was on par with uh, Cactus Jack Triple H from Royal Rumble 2000. Uh, I was on par with. What was it? When Stone Cold fought uh, Bret Hart at WrestleMania. I want to say it was WrestleMania 12, the submission match. You know, where Austin passed out in a pool of his own blood. It, It was bloody like that and that was really it was awesome and kind of frightening to see uh, i didn't you know dustin's no spring chicken anymore he's getting up there in age and awesome performance aside seeing him pour blood out of his forehead basically like a faucet was turned on was kind of scary to watch so it definitely added to the dramatics and cody's uh promo after the match you know I don't need a friend. I don't need a partner. What I need is my big brother. There were tears, dude. There really were. I mean, people haven't... uh, I don't think we've heard a promo with that much heart in a long time. And even Cody, as he was given the promo, looked emotional. Yeah, 
good job to both of them for putting on su- such a great match. Um, some other cool things about Double or Nothing. I I love Cody's uh, entrance. He threw quite a bit of shade at Triple H because Cody made his entrance on a throne with skulls and a sledgehammer. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And then he proceeded to take said sledgehammer and beat the crap out of the throne. He broke the throne. So, definitely some shade being thrown at WWE there. And uh, Chris Jericho's entrance also kind of, I don't want to say mocked, but uh, I guess paid homage to his uh, previous entrances. I love Jericho's entrance. And as you all know, Jericho's my favorite wrestler of all time. I was really excited to see him in the ring. But his entrance was so cool. Uh, for those that didn't see it, started off with the arena going black. Then his Lionheart music hit. Well, not his Lionheart music, but, you know, some variation, generic variation of. And there he was standing with his back to the crowd, wearing his old Lionheart vest. And then fade to black again. And then some more music hit. And you have another Jericho lookalike. These were all lookalikes, not really Jericho. I should mention Yet another Jericho looking like look alike holding the list of Jericho. And then the arena went black. And then lights again. And the third guy, Jericho lookalike, had a light up jacket. It was really cool to see all these uh little snippets of Jericho's career and what a career it's been. I mean, I know it's not over yet. He's still an active wrestler, but just look just that little tease in the beginning of his entrance, we got Lionheart. The list of Jericho I don't think should have been on there. To be completely honest, uh, it's a little too recent. And that whole storyline concept thing with the list, I mean, it was super over, I admit, but I don't think it was iconic, you know. So the Lionheart thing was iconic. The light up jacket was iconic. I would have loved to see a countdown because Jericho made his debut in WWE, obviously, as the Millennium Man with a big countdown. And for so long afterwards, his entrance, you know, involved a countdown. Would have been cool to see a countdown clock, but, you know, whatever. It it certainly didn't take away from how cool his entrance was. His match with Omega was great. These two always put on great matches. But uh, I don't think it was as good as their uh, Wrestle Kingdom match from, what was it, two years ago, I want to say? Yeah, I think it was two years ago. Uh, That match was great. Great. I put it up. I mean, Dave Meltzer gave it five stars, I believe, if that's of any indication of how great it is. I mean, I, if I had my own ranking system, one that, you know, had any weight to it or whatever, yeah, I'd give it five stars, too. I mean, in terms of technical wrestling or high spots, no, not really a whole ton, but the two of them were able to tell a fantastic story in the Wrestle Kingdom match. And, you know, they did as well here in Double or Nothing, but... It just wasn't as great. It didn't seem as polished as their Wrestle Kingdom one. So, And that's not to take anything away from Alpha and Omega. Like I said, they still put on a great show. Props to both of them. Love seeing Jericho being all smarmy. That's my favorite Jericho. Smarmy Jericho is best Jericho. And uh, how about that ending? The ending to the pay-per-view, huh? How about John Moxley showing up? We all knew he was coming. I mean, as soon as he left WWE and he was no longer Dean Ambrose, I mean, there was that little, what was it, that weird little cryptic teaser thing that he posted on Twitter where he was 
basically John Moxley again. And wow. Seeing him come through the crowd as Jericho was doing his post-match promo and then just giving dirty deeds to everyone. Is that move still called Dirty Deeds? I'm not sure. I don't know if that was a Dean Ambrose specific thing or if his uh, finisher was always called Dirty Deeds back when he was John Moxley and CZW and all that. But, you know, whatever. He gave Dirty Deeds to Jericho, gave it to, you know, the ref, I believe. And then he took Omega up onto those giant poker chips uh, that were laid out on top of the stage. DDT'd the crap out of him on top of it and then chucked him off onto, you know, some, I don't know, I don't know what it was. Like a platform, stage equipment type thing. Super duper cool to see John Moxley there, so. And yeah, I immediately jumped on ProWrestlingTees.com and bought myself a John Moxley shirt. Because he's just, he's just, he's a cool character. I really like him. Yeah, really great pay-per-view. If you haven't checked it out already, I highly suggest purchasing it. Support AEW. I don't think they're really hurting on money because, you know, they're owned by a billionaire. But it could be nice to support them. They're an upstart company. And, yeah. Let's see where uh, where they go from here on out. Especially as their TV uh, their TV show debuts, I, want, I believe, in the fall, if I remember correctly. And please don't name it Tuesday Dynamite. I heard that somewhere online. And... Dynamite makes it sound like a wrestling show from the 80s, from the rock and wrestling era, and it's kind of lame, so please don't do that. Please. It doesn't have to be super edgy, just, you know, maybe not Dynamite. So, anyways, while we're on the topic of uh, wrestling, how about Kenta? Hmm? You guys know Kenta? Hideo Itami in the WWE, for those that didn't know him prior to him joining NXT. And, you know, I guess 205 Live. Kenta showed up at Dominion for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole ton to that. He came out and sat down and announced that he was here. <laughs> and it was it's really cool. He's Kenta again. He's not Hideo Itami anymore. And, boy, was he misused in WWE. I remember his first year in NXT, he was getting this monster push. But I think once they brought uh, Finn Balor to NXT, he was kind of overshadowed by him. Because if you remember the WrestleMania that year, uh, I believe it was WrestleMania 31, the one that was in San Francisco, or Santa Clara, sorry. Uh, during the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, he had a pretty big moment against the big show. And he got a pretty big pop. I mean, he was really popular. And then just kind of faded, just disappeared. I mean, WWE truly doesn't know what the hell they're doing with a lot of their performers. Not all of them, but with a lot of them. And unfortunately, Hideo Itami, or Kenta, was just one of those casualties of really shitty creative. I mean, look at who WWE has lost over the past couple of months. Just this year, they lost Hideo Watami. And granted, I'm not going to be naming all of them, but here are just some of the ones off the top of my head. They lost Hideo Watami, Kenta. They lost uh, Ty Dillinger, Sean Spears. He is in AEW now as well. They kind of sort of lost Chris Jericho because he had at one point promised that he would never wrestle in, America, in North America for any other promotion other than WWE. But then he signed with AEW. So they kind of lost Jericho. 
They lost Dean Ambrose. John Moxley. Looks like Sasha Banks is on her way out. I mean, after WrestleMania, I don't know if she's been seen since. And if you guys follow her Twitter and Instagram, she's been kind of a little mouthy. <laughs> well, okay, maybe not mouthy. But she's been she's been not shy about saying certain things that would make it seem like she's leaving or thinking about leaving WWE. And that's all I know about that. You know, no one's really heard anything. She's still listed on their website and stuff, so it's not like she's gone. But there's definitely something brewing there. Something that's not really sitting right with her. So, uh, one last quick little blurb on wrestling before we leave this topic. Um, if you guys watched the New Japan pay-per-view Dominion, holy shit. Did you see what happened to Kota Ibushi? That, you know, very few things in wrestling make me cringe. Even legitimate injuries that I see sometimes don't really make me go, oh, and have to turn away. Okay, um, I've seen some pretty nasty things in wrestling. I mean, I've seen, you know, like barbed wire plate glass matches and stuff like that where people just get gashed like you wouldn't believe. You know, I remember seeing Triple H just freaking quadricep rip off the bone. And it was just this weird-looking lump in his thigh. So, I mean, I've seen some real injuries in wrestling. And when Kota Ibushi took that bump on the ring apron and his neck just went snap. And especially in slow-mo, it just bent in a way that a neck should not bend. I just, I couldn't believe what I saw. I read this somewhere on Reddit, but someone had had commented, if it wasn't Kota Ibushi that took that bump, we would be reading an article right now about how so-and-so died in the ring. And, yeah, Ibushi is incredibly in Welsh, in good shape, and his, his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it right now. But the shape he's in is probably what saved him. I mean, he did go on to, you know, finish the match, and I guess it was reported a day or two ago that he wasn't actually suffering any injuries. But dude, the human neck's not supposed to bend like that, especially with that kind of impact. It was just, it was nasty. And prior to that, he already bonked his head on the ring apron when he was attempting a uh, a move, uh, I forgot what he did, it was, you know, an over-the-top top rope move to the outside, and he clipped this freaking temple area on the edge of the ring apron as he came down. It's like the guy is trying to kill himself in the ring. I don't want to see that. Kota Ibushi is one of my favorite wrestlers. I, I want to see him have a nice long career, but, you know, at the rate he's going, I don't think it's going to happen. So, Kota, slow down. Slow your roll. I want to see you wrestle for a long, long time. You're still young. You know, please don't. Just please don't take risks like that. You know, jump on all the thumbtacks you want. That's, you know, whatever. That's surface pain. But, man, when I saw his neck snap like that, it was just, it was sickening. It was really sickening. And he, he's just going to keep going, taking crazy bumps like that. I already know. So, anyways. Obviously a big week in gaming. And I suspect that's where the bulk of today's episode is going to focus on gaming, because E3 was this week. 
So why not, right? Uh, some news prior to E3. This one might not be big news, because I don't know how many people actually liked this game, but it was kind of a kind of a surprise favorite of mine, and my son loves watching me play it. But the Ghostbusters game? Remember the third-person action Ghostbusters game on, uh, I want to say, Xbox 360? Or last gen, I should say. It wasn't just for Xbox 360. That game's getting a remaster, and that's kind of cool. And it would be even cooler if it wasn't a full price game, because, you know, unless they're planning on adding a whole bunch of new features to justify a $60 price point, I'm kind of hoping it's like a $39.99 type deal. Uh, I already have the game on PC, so I don't think I'm going to be rebuying it, just because I can already make it look pretty pretty awesome on my PC. So, But for those who haven't played the game and are fans of the Ghostbusters franchise, you absolutely need to play it. It, um, you know, it plays like Ghostbusters 3. You're a new recruit. You can, you can even fight Marshmallow Man. <laughs> so, no, it's a, it's a good game. I like it. It's not the best. It's, there's definitely some clunky controls in it. Um, it's not as polished as I would have liked, but it's an incredibly fun game that offers a lot of fan service if you're a Ghostbusters fan. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the remaster. Um, not for myself personally, but I'm, I'm you know, it's kind of cool that it's coming out. So. Uh, in other gaming news, Destiny is going free-to-play. That's right, folks. Destiny 2, I should specify. Destiny 2 is going free-to-play. And also coming to Steam. So, yeah, those of you who uh, haven't yet taken a chance on Destiny 2, might as well give it a shot now, right? I mean, it's going to be free-to-play. Now, perhaps the Biggest news to drop prior to E3 taking place. Google Stadia was finally revealed in full. So, okay. So Stadia, from what I understand, is not going to actually involve any type of hardware. As of right now, it sounds very similar to my Steam Link app that I have on my Android TV, where I can basically stream Steam. Uh, from my PC to my television. It sounds very similar to that and GameStream, NVIDIA GameStream. And uh, it looks like Stadia is all going to run via an app slash browser. Um, I believe when they when they beta tested it with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it was done via a browser. So, uh, I mean, I didn't take place in that beta, but from what I remember, yeah, I believe it took place in a browser. So, it's going to be... Definitely app based. It's not going to be like uh, it's not going to be like on live. Do you guys remember on live? It's not going to be like like that where you actually have a dedicated box that you plug in and it streams to the box, or and, uh, you know you stream from the box. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be more along the lines of something like you know, like what I just said, like a <laughs> like a Steam Link type thing. But um, so it's going to be free, okay, in its base form when it launches. You're going to get 1080p, I believe 60 FPS uh, is what they promised, and, you know, a a small library of uh, free games that are included. And uh, the best way to play it is with the Stadia controller. And it looks like a really nice controller. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if they say this is the best way of playing it, then fine, I believe it. I mean, it has the YouTube integration, Google Assistant integration and everything. It looks comfortable. I haven't ever touched one, but it looks nice. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I want to say $70, if I remember correctly, 69 bucks. Kind of pricey, but controllers are pricey these days, aren't they? They just aren't cheap. So, yeah, um, so there's the free one. That's the one that anybody, I guess, if you just sign up, you should be able to play some games for free. It's 1080p, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Then there is, you know what, let me pull it up here, because I really, I really should have done this prior Prior to starting this episode. Okay. It's called the Founders Edition. Now, the Founders Edition is $129. You can get it from the Google Store, the Google Play Store. And what the Founders Edition includes is, first of all, you're going to be able to play earlier. They're going to let the Founders Edition uh, uh, subscribers, I guess you could call them, uh, in the, the Stadia ecosystem earlier than the people who are just waiting for the free one. So, So, first of all, you'll get that. Okay, the Founders Edition also gets you the next tier up in terms of quality. So we're talking 60 frames per second, up to 4K resolution, HDR, 5.1 surround, all that good stuff. That I believe is dumbed down to, dumbed down, it's not dumbed down, but for the sake of argument, dumbed down, quote unquote, the 1080p for the free one. Okay, and there's a ton of games that were announced for it. I mean, not just, I mean, what do we have here? We have uh, Doom Eternal. That's coming out. Baldur's Gate 3. Metro Exodus. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. That's what they were using for the uh, for the beta. You have Destiny 2 coming to it. All sorts of games. Uh, Tomb Raider Trilogy. Mortal Kombat 11. Borderlands 3 is coming to it. Wolfenstein Youngblood. The new Grid. Pretty much... I mean, not a terrible library. Uh, all third party, I might add. So, I mean, I don't know what... Google's plan is in terms of first-party games, but, you know, maybe it's a little early to tell who the hell knows. But, you know, not terrible. In the Founders Edition, the one that costs $130. So, first of all, you'll get the Stadia at launch. Okay? You'll get three free months of Stadia Pro for yourself. Now, Pro is a monthly subscription. And if you'll give me a second, I can actually look up what the uh, monthly cost is, because I forgot. But uh, you get three free months of Stadia Pro. You'll get three free months to give to a buddy, which is nice. Sharing is caring. You'll get a Stadia controller, a night blue one that's exclusive to the Founders Edition. Okay? And a Chromecast Ultra for streaming. And this is what I was saying when I said that uh, earlier that the Stadia does not look like it's going to really have any hardware associated with it. Yes, that's kind of sort of a lie because they're giving you a Chromecast Ultra, but as you all know, the Chromecast, uh, Amazon Fire Stick, Roku, all that, even my uh, my Shield TV, all that is not Stadia-specific. So, obviously, when they give you the Chromecast Ultra, there's going to be a Stadia app probably preloaded on it, I would imagine, and one that you can download later. So... Uh, yeah, it still essentially is hardware-free, so I guess I'm not wrong, but uh, you'll get all that for 129 and, okay, it's not a terrible price. Oh, here we go. Huh? I found it. Stadia Pro, which is part of the Founders Edition, so you get three months of this for free, and after that three months free ends, it'll be $9.99 a month, so... The Pro Edition, the $9.99 a month, is going to get you up to 4K, 60 frames per second, 5.1 surround sound. 
You can buy games to keep whenever you want. Yes. Uh, you're going to get free games released regularly. Now that you kind of got to take with a grain of salt because who knows what release regularly means. And uh, you can have a discount on game purchases as part of your pro membership. I'm kind of suffering from membership f- membership fatigue at this point. I mean, you have Xbox with their Game Pass Ultimate, which is an incredible price, which I switched over to, by the way. And all of you should, too. Game Pass Ultimate is basically uh, Xbox Game Pass, Xbox Gold, and Xbox Game Pass PC, all bundled together for $14.99 a month. I mean, shit, I was already paying, what was it, 60 a month for Xbox Live Gold? And nine ninety nine a month for Xbox Game Pass, and you get all of that bundled together for fourteen ninety nine. That's a no brainer. I mean, what a great deal! But anyways, back to Stadia. So here's another thing that's going to cost nine ninety nine a month if I want the good stuff. Now the Stadia Base Edition, which is the free, non paying subscription one, uh, you'll get up to ten eighty p, which is great. I'm still fine with ten eighty p. So many games run on ten eighty p still, and even when they say 4K are simply just upscaled. So 1080p is fine. 60 frames per second, fine. Stereo looks like you're, or sound looks like you're only getting stereo. No support for 5.1. You can still buy any game you want. Uh, it doesn't look like you're going to get access to free games released regularly. It says no. And you don't get that Stadia Pro uh, exclusive discount when you do decide to purchase the games. So, yeah, I... The free, I think, is good to try it out with, and I'm considering buying the Founders Edition. I just, the, I just don't know whether or not Stadia is even something I need. I mean, I have a PS4, I have an Xbox One X, I have a pretty beefy gaming PC that can stream to any TV in my house, and since I have gigabit internet here in Brentwood, California, I mean, my streaming goes without a hiccup. I can play games that require, you know, the most precise input, like Street Fighter V, for instance, and there's no issues when I stream all the way across into my bedroom. So, why do I need a Stadia? Um, Other than the fact that it's the cool new thing, and as a tech junkie, I kind of always need to get my hands on the cool new thing. But that aside, do I really need one? I don't think I do. I mean, look at the list of games that they have on their website. It's There's nothing there that I can't get elsewhere. There's nothing there that I either don't already have, or I plan on getting on my Xbox One X or PS4. So, wouldn't that $130 be better spent on something else? Wouldn't we say? That's what I'm thinking. So, we'll see. There's got to be some some kind of first party, you know, support that makes me want to buy a Stadia. Right now you can walk up to someone and be like, "Hey, God of War on PS4. Worth it. System seller. It's worth buying a PS4 just to play God of War." Yes. Can I say the same thing about Stadia right now? No. Everything's third party, so so we'll see. Definitely I will keep my eyes peeled for much more Stadia news. But I've rambled long enough on this and wrestling. Let's get into E3 news. Now, I'm not going to go through everything that was announced on E3. I'm really only only going to go over the, the games that were announced that were interesting to me. 
everything else I'm sure you can find on other websites. Uh, you know, people who are there. You want to hear this news from people who are there. You know, not me. I watched it all just on YouTube. <laughs> Live, I might add. But, yeah, I watched it all on YouTube just as it happened. I wasn't at E3. So, you know, I'll offer my thoughts and opinions and things like that. But what I would suggest doing, and this is not just a cheap plug that I like to keep thrown out. What I would suggest is going to uh, listen to the girls of What's Good Games. I mean, they were there. They'll have their hands-on impressions and in-person reactions and stuff. So definitely go check them out for their E3 uh, special podcast episode, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, no, I was really excited to see a lot of E3 stuff. Um, but I want to start with Avengers. Now, apparently, and I'm going to try not to sound like a douchebag and be too snarky here, but apparently, people are getting their panties in a bunch because the Avengers game doesn't look anything like the movie characters. I mean, I'm seeing memes all over the internet about how, oh, this is a game starring the stunt doubles and blah, blah, blah. That You guys know there's more to Avengers than just the movies, right? I mean, you realize there's like literally half a century's worth of Avengers comics that have been around. Um, so why is it bothering anybody that the game doesn't look like the movie characters? Why does it bother anybody that the actor's likenesses weren't used for the game? I mean, shit, the Spider-Man game for PS4 didn't use Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield or Tom Holland or Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, any of, uh, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, and no one threw a shit fit over that. So why should this be any different? And it's not like a few people were like, oh, this sucks. This isn't like the movies. It's a ton of people. It's It has officially become a thing. That's how big of a deal the Avengers uh, trailer was. People are so upset that it's not the MCU versions of the Avengers that it has become a thing. It's a big thing right now. And it's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry for those of you who you know, are upset about the game and everything, but who the hell said in the first place it was going to be based off the movie? Nobody said that. Not one piece of news dropped prior to E3 that even suggested that this game would have anything to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. At all. So why are you all been out of shape that it's not, that they don't look like the movie characters? Let the movies be the movies. No one likes licensed games anyways. They all suck. Not all of them, I take that back. But a lot of them, most of them, especially ones based off of movies and TV shows and stuff, have a really, really shitty track record. So, the fact that it that the characters in this game don't look like the movie characters doesn't bug me one bit. I think it's great. I think it would even be greater if it was part of the same universe as the Spider-Man game. I know that's probably wishful thinking on my part, but wouldn't that be cool? That would be so cool. But I digress. Think. All right? Just think about it for a second. There's 50, 60 years of comic history to draw from. So, and yeah, a, a lot of the complaints were, well, the tone of the colors and the art style suggests them it was going to be the mo No, it doesn't. Look, you're either going to get a more realistic-looking Avengers game like they're doing, where all the character models and environments and stuff look hyper-real, like the Spider-Man game, or you're going to get something cel-shaded, like, you know, what... Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 looks like it's going to be. 
So you get one or the other. They went for realistic. And apparently in today's day and age, realistic means, quote, must look like movie counterparts. Lame. Don't be like that. I think it's going to be a fun game. I don't think it's going to be the greatest game ever made, but I think it's going to be a fun game. And their uh, post-launch content is all going to be free. New characters, new events, levels, uh, I think that's what they said. It's all going to be free. What's there to complain about? Just because Iron Man doesn't look like Robert Downey Jr.? There's been other Iron Men before. And, or you know what? Let me put it this way. Prior to Robert Downey Jr.'s incredible portrayal of Iron Man in the MCU movies, none of the Iron Man in the comics looked like him. So, quit your bitching. Jeez. Uh, anyways, we also got a teaser for Breath of the Wild 2, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild 2, which I was not expecting. Um, they're already redoing A Link to the Past, and I'm super excited about that, I might add. So, I, you know, I, I knew eventually there was going to be a Breath of the Wild 2. I just didn't know that it was going to be so soon. I mean, the Switch is not that old. And Breath of the Wild was such a huge game. Huge, I mean, both in terms of popularity and sales, and also the size and scope of the game itself, the map. As far as Zelda games go, that was a huge leap, and I'm just surprised to see them announce a sequel already. And granted, the teaser was not gameplay or anything, as most of these teasers aren't. It's all pre-rendered cutscenes, and I'm fine with that too. That's another thing that people bitch and cry about. Uh, yeah, I would love gameplay footage, but video game teasers are now basically becoming movie teasers. They're one and the same now, and gameplay footage I don't think always makes the best and most compelling trailer footage. So yeah, they're going to throw the prettiest thing that they can at you for the trailer, which equates to, most of the time, which equates to these pre-rendered cutscenes. And I'm sorry, that's just how it's going to be. And how it's been for a while now. So, you know, it's it's these these trailers are great at setting the tone, and that's really a lot of these games all they have right now. <laughs> Anyways, so the I think the biggest moment, at least at first, you know, during the Xbox press conference, was Keanu Reeves is in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Who saw that coming? Bullshit! If you said you did. No one saw that coming. Come on. It was the coolest thing ever. And then Keanu actually walked out on stage, which was even cooler. Because, um, you know, I know everybody loves Keanu Reeves now. Probably because of John Wick. He's awesome as John Wick. But it wasn't that long ago where he was the butt of every acting joke on the planet. And <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I loved him. I've loved him since Bill and Ted. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't care how lame it is. It's... Anyways, I don't want to be that guy that goes, well, I liked him before all you did, because that's kind of a douchey thing to do, so whatever. But he's in Cyberpunk. To what degree? I don't know. I don't know if it's a big role or just like a little cameo side quest type character. But the fact that he's in it and it looks the way it does, hey, and, you know, CD Projekt Red is developing it, you've got my $60 or probably 70 or 100 you know, because I assume there's going to be collector's editions and all that. So... That was one of my most anticipated games last E3, and it's even more so this E3 after seeing the new trailer. Uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. It kind of reminds me of that Christian book series. Uh, shoot, what was it called? It was the one that was focusing on the rapture. 
I really don't remember what it was called. It's like a twelve book series. Uh God, it's gonna bug me. Anyways, that looks cool. I know nothing of the game, but apparently all these people in Tokyo just suddenly disappear and their clothes remain, and it's adults and children and what? Intrigued I am. I mean that's the kind of that's the kind of mindfuck type game that I really enjoy, so Got my eye on you, Ghostwire Tokyo. I've got my eye on you. Uh, another game that caught my eye was Minecraft Dungeons. Not so much for myself. I mean, I enjoy throwing down in Minecraft every now and then. But my children are straight up obsessed with Minecraft. And, you know, I encourage them to play it. I enjoy watching them use their creativity and imagination to create things. I mean, this is something I wish I had as a kid. I mean... I'd use actual blocks, like Legos and Duplos and stuff like that. So, I mean, they do too, but it's it's cool to see them play around in Minecraft and, you know, get creative. So, the fact that they're releasing a dungeon crawler in the vein of Diablo is kind of cool. I like Diablo. Shit, I'm still playing Diablo 3, the Eternal Collection, on my Switch nearly every night before bed. You know, I'll pop it on for 10, 20 minutes, play in adventure mode, do a couple of bounties. It's still one of my favorite games. So, yeah, Minecraft Dungeons would be a great way to get my kids started on the dungeon crawler hack and slash RPG genre, whatever you want to call it. So, uh, 12 minutes. Now, that game looks intriguing. Looks like, you know, the trailer didn't really reveal too much other than the fact that it looks like the character that you are is doing a Groundhog Day kind of deal where he's reliving the same 12 minutes over and over. has something to do with his wife being accused of murder, and he has to go fix that. That's all I really know. But it looks really, really cool, and it just reminds me of the type of game with hopefully the type of narrative that you'll get from like a Quantic Dream game. So I've got my eye on that too. It looks really neat. Um, I enjoy narrative-heavy games. So, yeah. 12 minutes looks really cool. And I don't know if the actual game itself will be presented from that top-down view, but that definitely gave it a very unique feel that a lot of other games don't have. It caught my eye just like that. As soon as I saw it, like before I even knew what was going on, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what this game's about. Yeah, 12 minutes looks very interesting. And I'm very excited to see where it goes. Uh, my thoughts on the Forza Horizon 4 Lego expansion. Now... I loved the Hot Wheels expansion for Forza Horizon 3. I had a lot of fun with that. I know a lot of people shat their pants when, you know, they released a Hot Wheels-themed expansion, and, you know, as one does on the internet, I suppose. You bitch and moan about how, oh, this isn't Forza, why is Forza doing this, blah, blah, blah. Never mind the fact that you didn't even have to buy the expansion. It's not like, you know, it's not like Playground Games in Turn 10 were holding a gun to your head forcing you to buy it. But, you know... People are going to bitch. What you going to do? But anyways, the Lego one, I'm not super sure about. Um, it looks fun. It's kind of cool seeing the, uh, quote, real cars in Forza 4 interact with Lego versions of themselves. That, that's kind of fun. But the whole Lego phenomenon, other than actually playing with the blocks themselves and building things... That's fun. But other than that, the whole phenomenon with the movies and the Lego games and stuff, I've played and watched them, but they never, they they just 
they don't do it for me. They really don't. So, um, well, I, I guess I'll buy it when, you know, whenever Xbox does a sale, and a lot of times they have the DLC content on sale too. I'll buy it then. I just don't think I'm going to buy it when it comes out. And I believe it might already be out. Don't quote me on that, but I remember them saying how it was coming out this week or something. Uh, okay. Halo Infinite. Now, I'm a big Halo fan. I'm a Halo fan beyond the game. Uh, I've watched the movies. I've Well, not the movies. There is no movies. I watched the show that came out on Halo Waypoint. I watched Forward Unto Dawn. I have that... Uh, what was it called? Halo Legends, the one that was made by the anime artists. That was great. I've read the books. I've read the comics. I love the Halo universe. Just put aside everything that Halo is in terms of gameplay. Put aside the fact that it's a fantastic playing game. It's great gunplay, great vehicle integration. Uh, change the first person shooter genre, whatever. Put all that aside. Just the universe of Halo, I love. It intrigues me. And knowing that Halo Infinite is coming is really exciting for me. And hearing Cortana again. Love Cortana, so let's see what that's all about. But I do have to ask... How many times is Master Chief going to be stranded in space needing to be rescued? I mean, that's been a thing since the end of Halo 2, wasn't it? Am I mistaken there? I kind of feel like he's always lost in space and has to be retrieved and then, like, rewoken and then shit goes down and, you know, we need to fight and all that stuff. So I don't know. Um, maybe try something new for Halo 7? At least in the trailer. Who knows? For a guy as badass as Master Chief, he seems to get stuck in space a lot, is all I'm saying. He's always stranded. So, yeah. Uh, while we're on the topic of space, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order looks great. Uh, the best way I can put it is it looks like a mix between The Force Unleashed, which it's probably not, in all fairness. The Force Unleashed was basically a button masher. Um, from what I saw in the gameplay footage for Fallen Order, it does look like the lightsaber combat has a little more nuance to it. Maybe one can hope something more along the lines of the Jedi Knight games from back in the day. Maybe, hopefully. That would be cool, because uh, the lightsaber mechanics for those games were great. You had a lot more control and a lot more options of what you can do rather than just, just mashing button X and watching animations of the lightsaber swinging going on. But it looks great, um, Fallen Order. It, and <laughs> Respawn definitely has their, I guess, their trademark, if you can count two Titanfall games as a trademark. Their trademark wall running down. Um, it was cool seeing the Joker from Gotham as the Jedi. I forgot his real name. I think it's like Cameron Monaghan or something. Um, he's great as Jeremiah on uh, uh, on Gotham. But anyways... It, it's he seems fine as the the Jedi, and yeah, it looks like a cross between you know maybe Jedi Knight slash the Force Unleashed, and like an Uncharted game almost or a Tomb Raider game. There seems to be a lot of you know environmental traversal going on at, at least from what I saw, and I hope it's a huge game. Star Wars is always big and grand and epic and. You know, it looks like they're putting all of their eggs into this Jedi Fallen Order, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order basket. 
So it needs to be big and grand and epic. So let's, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Again, just like Halo, beyond the movies, games, uh, comics, books, especially the books, and the extended universe, let me jump to the side for a little bit. I'm so sad that's not canon anymore. I mean, sure, it probably never was canon canon, like official canon, but the fact that Luke Skywalker is not married to Mara Jade and Han and Leia don't have Jaken and Jaden as twins and Jaken didn't turn into Darth Cadus and all that stuff that I loved reading about kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Anyways, that was just a little aside on that. Makes me sad. Uh, Fallout 76 is getting a whole bunch of new content, but the one that, again, has everybody crying and complaining and bitching and moaning is the addition of Nuclear Winter, which is a Battle Royale mode. Now, I like Battle Royales. Uh, I'm not really into PUBG, but I really like Fortnite. I don't play it as much as I probably should, but I enjoy it every time I do play it. It's fun. And yeah, Battle Royals or Royales are Battle Royale. One of those things that where when you say it too many times, it starts to sound not right. So anyways, it's the thing right now. It just is. It's the hip, cool thing that everybody's trying to get in on. And I get it. There are just people that are going to take one look and think to themselves, well, this is the cool mainstream thing, so I immediately hate it. I get it. A lot of people out there like that. So, the fact that Nuclear Winter slash Battle Royale mode is coming to Fallout 76 had a lot of people throwing a hissy fit online. I mean, I I saw stuff on Twitter of people saying, like, this game is now dead to me. (laughs) Really? It's not like the entire game is going to be just a Battle Royale mode. You know, you can not play it. The rest of the game is still going to be whatever Fallout 76 is. Uh, I have to be honest, I haven't played Fallout 76. I'm still waiting for it to price drop, and I know it's free this week to try, so I'm probably going to jump on that and uh, give it a go. But I love Fallout, and I was just waiting until Fallout 76 got fixed a little bit, which it sounds like it has. So, yeah, there's going to be a Battle Royale mode. Big whoop! Who cares? Does it really bother you that much that there's going to be a mode that you don't have to play? Well, sure, I'm going to at least try it out. There's something I hope that still exists called an open mind where you would want to at least, you know, give them a chance. So, yeah, I don't know what all the big hoopla is. I'm probably not going to play it a whole ton, but I'm at least going to try it out. And if anything, I'm glad there's more content coming. Whether it's content I want or not, whatever. The fact that they're putting more content in, I see it as a good thing. So maybe not everyone does. Maybe I'm just old. Uh, and the last thing from E3, E3, <laughs> E3 that I want to talk about is the new Xbox console, Xbox Scarlet. Now, I don't have my notes in front of me for some reason, because, you know, why prepare for a podcast, right? Yeah. So, anyways. um, So, I can't really quote to you the uh, the numbers and stuff. They didn't say teraflops. I was totally expecting them to say Teraflops, especially after listening to uh, What's Good Games Magic 8-Ball E3 Predictions episode. And I believe it was Steimer that asked if the term Teraflop will be spoken on stage. They didn't say it. I thought everyone loved Teraflops. What gives? But anyhow, 
Xbox Scarlet, next gen Xbox console. Uh, shit, Halo Infinite's gonna launch on it. It's kind of cool having Halo as another uh, launch day game for a system. I think it's been a while since we've seen that, but um, looks like it's gonna be very powerful. It said some shit like up to 8K possible or something. You know, 4K looks really impressive to me right now. Right now, and I have to imagine you're gonna get to a point in the Ks whether it be 8K or 10K or 45K or whatever the case may be, where you're just not really going to be able to tell the difference between that and whichever one came before it. I don't know if I really want 8K capability. I'm sure they're doing it just to show that they're future-proofing. I get it. And that's good to see, that's good to see in here. But give me every single game can run at a minimum 1080p, 60 frames per second, and you'll have a happy Tony. Now, granted, going into Xbox Scarlet, yeah, I would love for it to be 4K, HDR, 60 frames per second. That would be great, but I know not every game is going to have that. So at the very least, give me 1080p, 60 frames per second, and that'll be great. Oh, they also said like 120 frames per second. Look, I have a pretty high-end PC. I can play games up to 120 frames per second, and maybe I just have an untrained eye. I don't think I do, because I've been doing this for a long time. But I'll admit, maybe that's just the case. But there's not a whole shitload of difference between 120p and 60p. P? No, I'm sorry. FPS. <laughs> 60p. Wow. Wouldn't that be horrible? No. Uh, between 120 FPS and 60 FPS. Not a huge... Not a significant change. Not something... That's so different that I have to think to myself, oh my god, I have to play everything on 120 FPS. No. Now, I can tell the difference between 60 frames per second and 30 frames per second. I think the lower you go, the more dramatic the difference it'll be. But between 120 and 60, it's noticeable barely. And again, I understand Microsoft is just kind of doing their whole, we're future-proofing, you know, we know this type of tech is coming, so this is just to let everyone know that we're thinking about it and we're preparing for it. And that's awesome. That's good to see. Yeah, looks like Xbox Scarlet is going to be incredibly powerful. Uh, hopefully it'll stay quiet. I mean, my Xbox One X right now is a nice quiet system, which is a huge difference from my base PS4, which sounds like a freaking freight train every time I do anything that requires any graphic, you know, intensive gameplay. It just... All I hear when I'm playing is, and it's really annoying. And I know everyone says the PS4 Pro is a lot quieter, but at the same time, a whole bunch of people are saying their PS4 Pro is really loud too. So who the hell knows? That Okay, loading times being eliminated in the next gen because of solid state hard drives are great. That's awesome. I mean, I still just waiting for Anthem's load times. I can I can literally get up, go to the bathroom, make a snack, come back. And it's still loading, you know. So it's great that they're getting rid of load times. But I would love to see a system optimized so it doesn't set off those freaking fans every two seconds. And I would love a silent system. That would be next gen for me. No load times, base minimum of 1080p 60 frames per second, and a quiet ass system. That would just be the best. Uh, so yeah. And I believe I read today. No, yesterday, today. The day surrounding me recording this episode, let's just say. Uh, I believe I read that it's going to be backwards compatible. 
as is the PS5. So that is probably going to be the single biggest reason why I jump on these systems. I mean, I have a pretty... Yeah, I'm sure we all do, especially with stuff like the PS Plus free games and the Xbox Live Gold free games and Xbox uh, Game Pass and all that. We've got pretty beefy libraries of games that it would kind of suck to not be able to play anymore. And yeah, sure, I can keep the old console. That's what I did every generation. I kept the old console. But it would be nice, not a requirement, but it would be nice when the Xbox Scarlet and PS5 launch. It would be nice to be able to sell my Xbox One X and PS4 to offset a little bit of that cost. It's not its not the end of the world if I can't. I mean, these are all just luxuries anyways. But it would just be kind of nice to be able to. So, the fact that they're backwards compatible allows me to do this. And they didn't have to make it backwards compatible. Though, backwards compatibility on the Xbox One has been pretty successful. So... I'm sure Microsoft wants to see that continue. But I do appreciate it. I appreciate that I'll be able to play my PS4 and Xbox One games on the new consoles. That means the world to me. So good on you guys. Uh, Alright, I think... Wow. How about that, you guys? This is my longest episode yet. I'm actually about to break an hour. How about that? But you know what? I'll give all the credit to E3 just because of E3. There was a lot more stuff to talk about. So... Anyways, for my album of the week this week, uh, I kind of came upon this by accident because this is generally the album that I avoid listening to. My favorite band is Van Halen, and I like every Van Halen album, except Van Halen 3. A teensy-weensy bit of uh, rock history for you guys, for those of you that aren't super familiar with Van Halen. Sammy Hagar left in the late 90s, so David Lee Roth's gone, Sammy, Sammy Hagar's gone, and they brought on Gary Sharon, who used to be the singer of Extreme, to be the new lead singer of Van Halen. And on paper, that was a good fit. I mean, I enjoy Extreme. I enjoy Gary Sharon. I think he's a good singer. And I thought it was going to be great. But the album, Van Halen 3, kind of ended up being a train wreck. It wasn't great at all. And it's, it's so not great that Van Halen themselves kind of just pretend it doesn't exist. Like, you look, you know, back to Greatest Hits albums and stuff like that, and nothing from Van Halen 3 is included. It kind of sucks that they put the work into creating the album, and it does suck that Gary Sharon only had that one, that one opportunity to sing for Van Halen. And I think the biggest problem with Gary was that they didn't allow him to be Gary. They didn't allow him to be extreme lead singer, Gary Sharon. He, and I don't know this, it's not like I spoke to Eddie Van Halen or anything like that. God, I wish I could, though. But anyways, it, it seemed to me that they really wanted him to be Sammy. They wanted him to sing and sound like Sammy Hagar. And you can't make someone be someone they're not. <sighs> yeah, it, it's a shame. Because upon re-listening to Van Halen 3 this past week, and like I said, I f- kind of came onto, onto it by accident. It's because I was listening through the discography of uh, Van Halen while I was at work. And I wasn't paying attention because I was paying attention to my job, to my work. And after Balance ended, Van Halen 3 came on and I was just too lazy to change the music out. So I just, I decided to give it a go to listen to it. And it's not that bad. I mean, it aged a little bit better than I would have expected. Now, there's still some some pretty shitty songs on there 
like most of them, but there are some really great songs on there that I think should have been included in some greatest hits albums like Best of Both Worlds. Without You, such a fun song. It's not great, but it's it's, it's a fun song. It's very Van Halen-y, I think. Um, Dirty Water Dog, Fire in the Hole. Fire in the Hole and Dirty Water Dog. Those are, those are my two favorite songs from the album. And it's a shame that they were never included at all in any of the uh, Greatest Hits albums. It, it makes me kind of sad because they're great songs. And whenever I make my own, uh, you know, like Van Halen mixes and stuff like that, I always include those two because I legitimately like those songs. So, yeah, for my album of the week this week, Van Halen 3. It's the one with the fat circus guy on the cover being shot in the stomach with a cannonball. You probably wouldn't even be able to find that anywhere. I'm sure it's on iTunes and uh, Spotify and all that good stuff. So give it a listen. Um, But fair warning, it's not a great album. I suggest giving it a listen with a more, how shall I say, a more critical ear, I guess. Um, because Van Halen did try to go more experimental with this one, and I don't think it worked out, but it's kind of interesting to hear them try so many new things. Give it a listen, if anything, for history's sake. I mean, it's there. The album exists, no matter how hard they try to pretend it doesn't. It's there. You know, it's on my phone right now. So, and that's not the worst thing in the world. It's a pretty enjoyable listen Bad songs aside, which is, again, I hate to say it, but most of them. But there are some gems in there that I think make it worth worth the time to give it a listen. So Van Halen, uh, Van Halen 3. And I think that just about does it for this week. Hooray for the longest episode yet. Am I right? So, uh, again, thank you so much for whoever's listening. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to me. Rant and rave. Do a little bit of bitching and complaining myself. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at ToneZone81. You can also check out my website, geeksingledad.blogpost.com. That's G-K-S-N-G-L-Dad.blogpost.com. That's a really hard website name. I really should change that to something a little bit easier. So, yeah, I might do that. Uh, also, I would love it if you guys could subscribe to this show if you enjoy what you're hearing. Uh, I'm everywhere now. I'm on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, somewhere else, too. I forgot. There were like five or six different places I submitted the podcast to. And it's live on all of them. So, yeah. Give your favorite single dad a uh, a subscribe. And uh, until next time, I'm Tony Shea. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.